All right. In just a moment, we'll be talking about giving. Should be a very rudimentary outline that you can use in your booklets to follow along there. But after yesterday, I, I still have a habit that I can't stop. So we will have one more merciless instance of dad jokes. Well, we had the, the craft lady. I, I got actually go dangerously off the, off the script this morning. If we were telling Bible jokes, you know who the shortest man in the Bible was, right? Well, that, that's, most people think Nehemiah, but it is Bildad the shoe height. Shoe. All right. So, like I said, we're, we're not going to have any mercy here. This is all about me and not about you. Here we go. Um, the boiled water died. It will be missed. Missed. All right. When does a joke become a dad joke? When it becomes a parent. This is another extra one. What do you get when you cross a dad joke with a rhetorical question? Um, <laughs> where does a sick boat go? To the dock. Where are average things made? At the satisfactory 6.30 is the best time of day, hands down. See, hands, hands down. All right. This is, the, this is the last one. <laughs> All right. So, a lumberjack goes into a magic forest to cut down a tree. But when he started to swing one at one, he, he, it shouted, Wait, I'm a talking tree, and you will die on a log, said the lumberjack. So, so there it is. Um, I know that most of you haven't enjoyed those, <laughs> but that gives you some reason, to motivation to go home <laughs> after a busy week. But I do want to thank uh, Jariah for the invitation and opportunity. It's been a great week and a very memorable week for our family, uh, opportunity uh, to, to have a, a, a different change of pace. This is not exactly, I'm learning uh, as, we, as you speak at a camp, it is a, a welcome and inviting change of pace. It's not exactly a vacation when you get to do this. And I'm sure Jariah uh, would say the same thing when you're doing camp directing or you have different responsibilities, but it's been a pleasant uh, and an enjoyable time. I've enjoyed getting to renew acquaintances, um, establish some new ones, uh, all the late night chats, talking about baseball and theology and combinations and, and all of these different things. Uh, I hope that our family has not intruded too much on the Hesses and the Shanks, especially. We, we have a tendency with seven kids and cousins and grandparents and boyfriends and everything just to kind of spread out. Um, but I know we've enjoyed it, our interaction with you, and I hope that you've at least tolerated your interaction with us. <laughs> um, but w w we do really appreciate uh, what is going on here uh, at Iowa Regular Baptist Camp. Uh, after having ministered uh, for several years now outside of Iowa, uh, I appreciate other ministries and other camping things. I've interacted with some of you at Camp Shiloh, which we rented a facility to do that. Uh, we've worked at smaller camps like Bass Lake up in Minnesota. Uh, this last year, I started to establish myself at Camp Manitoumi uh, in Illinois. And there's great strengths to each one of those people and programs, but it's been an amazing thing 
uh, to see how the Lord uh, has continued to prosper uh, and bless this ministry. I was serving at Altoona Regular Baptist Church in, uh, I started, we joined in 95, and it was in 2000 that Phil took the, the directorship in the ministry after having served for several years uh, as in the youth ministry over at Sailorville. Uh, and it was exciting to see both the, the enthusiasm uh, that he's invested when Dave came over uh, from Mason City, uh, joining him a year or so later, uh, and just how that, that partnership uh, ha has really thrived, how you've seen the, the facility increase, but just the enthusiasm in the, in the programs, uh, the, the great uh, range of speakers that, that they've had here. And I know it's a difficult position to be in because you have a lot of competing uh, opinions, different people who have different kinds of values, and they've navigated it, I think, about as well as anybody could. Uh, and I know that you have uh, benefited, even if you've been here just this week, uh, and ble been blessed by the efforts that they put in. Uh, so keep them in your prayers uh, and keep uh, the, the prayer of thankfulness, of gratitude here uh, for IRBC uh, as well uh, today and into the future. All right, we're talking this morning about giving, so I'd invite you to stand. We're going to read from the 112th Psalm. If you have an ESV, you can follow along. Otherwise, the words will be here on the screen as we reflect on the generous nature of our God. Psalm 112. Read with me. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of... Uh, there we go. There we are. Back. There we go. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. And as you're seated, let's bow together in prayer. Father, we do thank you for that privilege that we have to understand both your character exemplified to us uh, and understanding that as you show yourself to us, it is our obligation, it is our privilege uh, to put your character on display, to reproduce it through the knowledge of your word, through the work of your spirit, uh, and out of concern and love uh, for our fellow man. We pray, Father, uh, that you would help us to be faithful and you would help us to demonstrate uh, here today as we learn from your word uh, the generosity that you demonstrated towards us, the grace 
by which we stand even here today, knowing that we did not deserve what you gave. Uh, Lord, help us to show it uh, both in our religious emphasis, in, in the truths that we teach from your word, uh, but to also enhance it through the generous nature uh, of how we handle what you have bestowed upon us. Lord, we pray uh, that you would make us a generous people, a giving people. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. It's been, sto the story is told of John Wesley, uh, noted founder of Methodism, brother of the great hymn writer Charles Wesley, who probably in the end had more influence than his brother, not because uh, he was a better thinker or, or anything like this, but Charles uh, has had more influence because of the, the hymns that he wrote that span denominations and span different church traditions. We love to sing songs like, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King. We love to sing, And Can It Be That I Should Gain an Interest in My Savior's Love. And there are literally hundreds and hundreds more that we could name. But his brother John, uh, and John and Charles together, were the significant figures in the founding of Methodism. And it's told about John's life uh, that uh, there was one day when he was encountered by a woman who asked him for uh, some help, you know, like, like we are wont to do even in our society today. I think that's Sometimes it feels like that's the only reason left that we have a landline uh, at church. You know, you, you get those cell phone calls and texts and emails, and it seems like the only people who ever call the landline anymore are the people in your church over 60, and even that's starting to change as they talk to their grandkids and they figure out how to text. Uh, you get solicitors for different businesses and things that are trying to... Uh, sell you some kind of a curriculum or product, which always makes me wonder because I have absolutely never in my life ever bought anything because somebody called me. So, so who is doing this? Why is it profitable? But, and then the third tends to be people who look you up, and they're basically going alphabetically through the phone book, trying to figure out who can give them some assistance. Uh, in our region, we're probably high on the list because B, Brown Street, B, Baptist, we're, we're right up there. Um, that's a hard thing. Again, one of my, oh, and the fourth one is missionaries. Sorry if you're a missionary, but that, that's, that's where the other people call. And that's actually my worst, that, I really don't like that. Not because I don't like missionaries to call. It's like, I want to have all the missionaries. <laughs> you know, it, my family and I have done foster and adoption. At one point, we had to come to the realization that we couldn't adopt all the kids. I, I think the Johnsons haven't quite figured that out yet. <laughs> uh, but um, you, you, you have that compassion. You have that desire. And at some point, you have limited resources. What Wesley had been confronted with here was somebody who was asking for assistance. And he reaches into his pocket and realizes that he didn't have what he wanted to give to her. He had spent it on something else. He had and gave her what he had. But he felt convicted. And the story is told that he prayed to the Lord and made a commitment that 
Lord, I'm going to think better about how I utilize my money. I'm going to think better about how I utilize my resources. I'm going to prioritize being in a position to give to others. And so it's said that as his income continued to increase, royalties from things like printed sermons and uh, compensation for speaking engagements and things, he probably started off in ministry with the equivalent in, in American dollars of about $20,000 a year. I could give you all the pounds and stuff, but if you're like me, I have no idea what that means. Um, so the parallel is he, he started off in ministry making an annual income of about $20,000 a year. Uh, it's estimated by the time he reached the end of his ministry with all the investment and popularity and influence that he had gained, he was probably making more along the lines of 160 thousand dollars a year. He grew in what he was taking in, but he lived on, by the time the end of his life, about $28,000 a year. So there were things that increased in his expenditures, and I don't think they had pills and stuff like that, but you know, there's probably a few things that uh, increased in what he, he was required to pay out, but all the rest of that he didn't save, he didn't set it aside, he didn't establish memorial funds or anything, he gave it, he gave it out. Uh, in fact, when they said with, with his will, with what was left over, the, the kind of things that he had to distribute, was, it basically amounted to a little bit of loose change, a little bit of money that he had to spend on the incidentals of life that he had left in his possession. Is that the kind of thing that we do? Is that the kind of thing we should do? I, I'm, I'm not going to put that kind of pressure on us because I know that in my own life, I have different ways that I could evaluate, different ways that I could adjust, because that certainly does not match my own personal practice. But we understand that there are high bars that have been set. And it's not just Wesley that gives us that opportunity to pause and reflect. The ultimate example, the standard and measure that we compare ourselves to is the standard of the measure of the fullness of Christ, who had everything, gave it up, and became obedient to the point of death, as Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, even the death of of the cross. He surrendered not only all of his resources, but all of, of, of the, the benefits and the blessings of what it meant to be with God, with his Father in heaven. Now, we could get into, if we're talking about Wesley, how we're going to change that phrase, and can it be to the emptied himself? And that's not, my, that's not really my point and direction here today. But the point is, he gave it up, and he gave it up for us. That's the ultimate standard. So why do we tend to be protective? Why do we tend to think that like the world tells us, that if we don't watch out for ourselves, if we give, give, give all the time, nobody's ever going to give back to you. You've got to look out for number one. There is a place for being wise 
and judicious. And even the scriptures tell us to go to the ant, consider her ways and be wise. Why? Because she's the one who's laying up for the future. She's the one who's making sure that she's in a position that when winter comes, she has something to live on. That's the paraphrase. But there is also the sense that when we accumulate, even in what we're storing up, it's not just that we may have to meet our own needs. What does Ephesians 4 tells us? To the one who has stolen, he steals no longer, but instead he labors, working with his hands what's good, not only to meet his own needs, but so that he may have to give to those who are in need. It's a priority that we need to establish. And first of all, I want to suggest that that is a priority because we understand that everything that we possess, everything that is within our control, we understand that God is the source. If you wanted to look it up, you could do this, but I'm sure many of you could quote it in different translations in James 1.17, that every good gift, every perfect gift, it comes from above. Maybe some of you could sing the Steve Green song if you were allowed to. We weren't at my Christian school. Um, <laughs> sadly, that's actually true. But we did go to a basketball game once, playing another Christian school that did a cheerleading routine to, to a Steve Green song. That was still one of the most interesting things I've ever seen in my Christian life. Um, but every good gift, it comes from God. It's sourced from Him. What is it that we have that we have not received? I, I gave that quote yesterday from The Grapes of Wrath. Steinbeck obviously was not a believer. He was at best uh, a skeptic, an agnostic, and that reflected his cynicism. But Christian, we don't have the, the, the luxury, if we can call it that, that's even the right word, to entertain those kinds of things. We understand in our humility, in our frailties, that every good thing that we possess is because God has chosen to give it to us. And we need to make sure that we utilize it in kind. John the Baptist recognized this in John 3, 27, uh, a little bit lesser known verse, but he says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. He understood that in his role, Jesus was the one who must increase while he decreased. He was one who lived literally off the land, clothed in camel's hair, eating the locusts, and, and this kind of a thing. Again, as God called us to do everything that John the Baptist did, but if, no, but if God has given you more, you need to make sure you use it well. I want you to think with me here. I'm going to give you one story, one example, as we think through how do we accomplish that. We've just finished 10 years in Marshall, Minnesota, and probably the most vivid example that I've ever seen of generosity was there in that congregation. Some of you have been in Minnesota. You were with me, around me, or you've been around for a while. But the chairman of our deacon board there is a man named Paul Stoneberg. He's a lawyer. Uh, his dad was a Baptist General Conference pastor. He's one of the most godly and generous men that you could ever meet. His wife, Joanne, is one of the best cooks, sorry, IRBC, uh, that you'll ever meet as well. 
Uh, if you stay in their home, you get a spread. It's like you walk into a fancy hotel or something. It's just, it's great food, great hospitality. She's got some unique stories. She's got a unique personality. But they have taught me so much about what it means to give, what it means to extend yourself. They live in a nice home. But he's a lawyer in town. He's, he's, like the, he's like one of the central figures. He's been like the, the chair of the community foundation. Uh, he owns property, and he's invested it well. Um, but they don't live in a house that looks like a mansion or, or anything. It's, it's a nice house, two-story with a basement. But it's not lavish. They don't drive any fancy cars. They drive nice cars, cars that work but they're not extravagant. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's not extravagant. They, they, they live simply, and they utilize what they have well. Probably their only luxury that we might, that we might gauge as n more normal people is Joanne loves to keep horses. And she's got, I don't know, Abby, three, four, four. Right now she's got four horses. And I remember when I candidated there, um, we were between ministries. I just finished about four years uh, in Skowhegan, Maine, and we were living with my in-laws, um, which was probably as much trial for them <laughs> as it was for us. Uh, but we were living in my in-laws' basement and just wondering what the Lord was going to do. And I went out, flew out to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. One of the deacons picked me up. We went up there, and it was just a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And I stayed at Paul and Joanne's house and looked out the window, and there are these horses. And Joanne says, Pat, if you come, I'll take your kids riding out once a week, every summer, every day, or every week of the summer. And I, I called and told my girls that, and they're, they're just little ones at the time, and they were so excited. You know, it's like the dream of girls to have horses. And sure enough, as the Lord called us there, she did that. And she invested in them. And I grew to know that as we were there, that wasn't something that was unique with our family because we're going to do that with, to the pastor so we can get a better relationship with God and have a little more pull. That was what she did with every new family that her husband met in town. And he was a lawyer, but he was a real estate lawyer. So basically, everybody who comes into Marshall is coming in to Stoneberg, Giles, and Stroop and signing their deed with their lawyer there. And they're making all kinds of relationships. They have people coming in and out, ex foreign exchange students, new residents. And she's using the horses as a witnessing tool, as an opportunity to make relationships. And they're taking, uh, every year, we have like a 4th of July picnic. And Paul and Joanne are feeding everybody. And it's not cheap food. It's like... Everybody gets your choice of steaks, burgers, and they're like hand patties, not, not the frozen cheap ones, you know. And um, so I started doing refugee ministry. And literally within three years, we've like doubled the attendance size. And they're still feeding all these refugee kids and some of them who don't really know what to do with American food. So you see it thrown in the, the garbage because they got too much, their eyes got too big for their stomachs and that kind of a thing. And they're investing. They're using it. And they're saying, and I'm asking them, do we, do we, does the church 
budget need to kind of help supplement? No, no, we got this. They would have an annual hayride uh, in the fall. Same thing, paying for it completely out of pocket. There's a couple times where I had pastors, uh, and I said, hey, we, we should have a get-together. Paul and Joanne, can we use your house and, and ride some horses, maybe start at the church and come over? Oh, no, just bring them all over there. And they would extend themselves for the church, for the extended church. We hosted our state meetings. We were actually parts of two different associations in Minnesota, the Minnesota Baptist Association and Regular Baptists. And they hosted the whole, all the pastors, everybody who came at their house. They fed them all out of pocket. That's the kind of people they were. And they did that. They had, you could say, well, yeah, that's nice to have the capital to do that. But they had the capital to do it because they prioritized it. They knew that that was an investment. They knew that that was a way they could make a difference, that the Lord had equipped them to do that. They weren't perfect people. They're not perfect people. But they knew how to give. And I, I know that from, as I brag on them here a little bit, that's the same thing they did whenever we had speakers come in. They would host missionaries. They would, they would take care of them. If the church didn't take them on, it wasn't unusual for them to take them on for regular personal contributions. That's what they did. That's who they were. Because they understood when I would talk to Paul, this isn't really our stuff. This is what God has given us to give to others. And they understood that they were stewards, that they were there to take care of it. Now, they've gone through their share of tragedy. They've gone through their share of difficulty. Joanne's had uh, breast cancer. Uh, Paul actually had uh, sickle cell lymphoma. Uh, he, he made that announcement. He calls me when I'm getting ready, literally, the next morning to pull out and drive down to Alton to, to take my family down to Canada. He says, oh, Pastor, I don't want to drop this on you, but I feel bad. I just don't want you to find out any other way. I've just been diagnosed with sickle cell lymphoma, and the doctor tells me, um, that in a worst-case scenario, I uh, might only have another year or two to live. And I was like, have a nice day. <laughs> um, and th that was hard. That was hard to step away. But I'm praising the Lord because I was just telling Dwight, Dwight pastored in Redwood Falls about 40 minutes away from us at one point, so we have a good relationship. He was asking about them. And praise the Lord, uh, two months ago, the Lord saw fit after all the therapies and everything. He's in complete remission. Uh, and you don't want to be superstitious about these things. But God blesses those who are generous. And I, I think that's, that's something that we can impress upon ourselves here, that God will bless those who are faithful. The, God will bless those who understand it's more blessed to give than to receive. So that's probably one of the most vivid personal lessons I've experienced. But I'm curious as to know, I, I could tell other stories when we were at Faith. Somebody giving us a car completely unexpectedly. There, there, there's different things like that that have made a difference in my life and have prompted us to understand that, yeah, we may not have 
that retirement laid aside that we would like to. We may not have the ability to go out and get the Mustang convertible or you know, different things that you might dream about to possess. We need to be content with what we have and we need to use what we have to give to other people. And we've tried to do that because God's put those kind of people in our lives to teach that and to press that upon us because we've been the beneficiaries of it so often in our lives. So what have you seen? Some things that you could share with the group this morning that remind you of the generosity. But I'm looking less about what you've done and more of how you've observed it in the lives of others. Let's give credit to God here. Who will be first? So opportunity to give exposure to, to films and other things that have a good gospel emphasis, using their resources uh, as a venue for proclamation, but also relational kinds of things. That's great. Dan. So Dan says, if you couldn't hear, he's just talking about a deacon who's modeled giving and invests in their family a great deal. All right. Others? Um, after we lost our baby, people would come to our house just to cook meals and to clean and just to give that time to mm -hmm. So Tamara's saying when they lost a child, people were coming, investing, food, cleaning, those things make a difference, whether you can say I, I've given, you know, I've fed a whole church or we have a nice house or we're, give what you can and you don't always know what kind of a difference it can make. Mike. man who gives gifts to the kids in the church. That's his ministry. You, you single it out. You find ways to do that. So they're anonymous gifts, people who are regularly doing that, and they've tried to detect but haven't been able to figure it out.
By the way, we sh I'll, I'll come to you in a second. We should also remember that w the way that we gauge generosity, we tend to think of it, even the, the last picture I have, what I have, I have monetary measurements. But it's not all just about money. I gestured at, the, where are they? Anyway, I think I gestured over there. Where are the Johnsons? Where'd they go? They ducked out on us. I know. <laughs> But, I know, I, I feel bad now. <laughs> now I have guilt. <laughs> um, but what do we do? We, we can give, if you don't have the money, you can give of yourself. I, I mentioned that we're in foster care, and they tell us, that if you do foster care through the state, you get a stipend. Uh, but they, they always tell you in the training, if you're doing this for the money, you're doing it for the wrong reasons because there's no amount of money that's going to be worth what you're going to go through. And there are times where the money is nice, but the money is essentially enabling you to take care of the kids. You're not really coming out on the plus side. You have to realize what you're doing is out of love. Uh, I was talking to Bill Britton with Baptist Children's Home about this one time, and he was in a meeting where they were training uh, foster parent, or no, the social workers. And the social worker chief actually got up and rebuked some of their workers because he says, you need to be careful that we don't get so tight on these Christians that we discourage these Christians from doing this. Because if we don't have church people, we don't have anybody to do this. Why? Because Christians understand that this is something of eternal significance. When you invest in the lives of, the, of children, you, you open up your homes to them, and they, they ought to be operating from a better point of motivation, that they're doing this for the glory of God and not to pad themselves up, not just to, to give them some sense of satisfaction. There's blessing, certainly, that comes with that, but there's got to be something more than just the good feelings to get you through when they come knocking on your doorstep and the child that you thought was you were going to you took home from the hospital and you were going to raise her uh, until she was 18 and left the home three weeks later they say well the judge has ruled we're putting her back with the birth parents there's not a lot of money that can take care of that kind of heartache that kind of investment that you've put in and so they said don't don't make it so difficult that they're not going to want to do what they do because we need them. But I think that, that speaks well for us, folks, by the way, of what Christians, how Christians can be perceived on the outside. But it also ought to remind us that's how we need to be perceived. We need to be enhancing that. Okay, Dan. Mm-hmm. 
So people paying for things like camps, even though it's not their own kids, music lessons for pastors' kids or other others, investing in that way. Did I see another hand? If, she, if you aren't catching all that, she's talking about things like schools and how they rely on endowments. If you talk, ever talk to anybody in an in institutional administration like that, uh, you know, our tendency is, maybe even as your studio, well, I pay tuition, shouldn't I? But tuition doesn't even cover the professor's salaries, typically. They, there's so much that depends on the generosity of others, whether it's in ultimate gifts like Faith benefited from a few years ago when the, the farmer died and left the, the property and they get the proceeds from that, or just the regular systematic percentage of your income uh, that people will, will put into that. Find those ways. Find ways to use what you have to invest in something larger than yourself. All right, last chance for back in back row. I talked to her husband, by the way, and she says they go to chapel, and he is in the military, and he does computer programming, but his last name is Chaplin. <laughs> so I, I thought that was ironic, but I enjoyed my conversation. And, and she's right, too. And the systems that you put in place with that are, are also important. You know, that that's doing something like a meal train or, you know, in past generations we've done things like missionary closets or have different things. We never want to limit our giving to those things, to those programs. But those programs also, those systematic ways, can be entrance points into a mindset of generosity. And we ought not to forget that it's not just good enough to preach that occasional message on tithing because the offerings are getting low. We need to do what we can as church leaders or even as
people of influence within the congregation to make sure that these things are encouraged. That's what it means when we provoke one another to love and good works, that this is the kind of community where those things are valued, where those things are modeled, and how can I follow in that kind of an example uh, in the position that God has placed me in. Let's keep going here. If we, we understand that God has given us these resources and we are to be stewards because He is the source. We've talked about different people and examples that we've seen publicly. We also ought to remember why we give. There are wrong reasons and there are right reasons. Uh, one of the texts that we read yesterday in Matthew chapter 6 talking about prayer also reminded us that we shouldn't be praying for that public recognition. When you give alms, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. The sense there that we aren't doing this to be a public spectacle. And so maybe what we just did there a few moments ago uh, in naming specific individuals, for some of us, we struggle a little bit because, you know, some of these people are doing it anonymously. How do you relate what you're observing but not really wanting to magnify? You don't want to brag on them too much because, like the man I talked about yesterday, he doesn't want the recognition. He wants the approval of God. At the same time, just like public prayer, we have to be mindful that people aren't going to know what to do unless sometimes they see how it's implemented, what you do with it. Uh, so make sure that you're not giving for the sense of the self-glory to get the recognition, to get the pats on the back. Uh, I have a picture here of a stadium. Uh, I, I altered that a little bit. We, we can tend to do that, you know, like with a corporate mindset. So you have, it's not just, when I was growing up, they were all, you know, we had Fenway Park, not like the TD Garden, you know, with the, the corporate logo and the corporate mindset pass on. that The Twins, what, what did it used to be? Now it's Target Field. You know, it's, it's got the, the stamp on it instead of Metropolitan Stadium or the, the Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome or, or things like this. They, people are buying the influence. They're giving, but they're giving as much for the corporate benefit as, as anything. Friends, we need to make sure that that mindset doesn't take over why we give, that it's, it's okay, even as we leave the chapel to go eat in Jensen Hall, or, or, you know, we stay in the Loops Lodge on this property, it's not necessarily a bad thing to remember and to memorialize the generosity of others. But at the very least, we should be cautious to make sure that we're not really doing that for ourselves, that we don't want it to be linked to, uh, it's like what they used to do, now Now, you don't really do that anymore, but with postage stamps, they would never put people who were still living, they'd never put their image on a postage stamp. Now, as postage stamp sales decline, we're like all about Harry Potter <laughs> and whatever else that we're putting on them these days. But there was that sense in the past that we wanted to give these people a chance 
to commemorate the past, to honor legacies, but not to use it as a venue for self-promotion. Now in the days of social media, I suppose that's to some degree just a way of life. Look at me, look at what I'm doing. That should never, never be our motivation to give, at least in this way that if we're doing it consistently with the character of God. Instead, we recognize these things come from Him. We look at this, and these are the right reasons I'm going to give you as far as how to give. We give, first of all, I would suggest that the New Testament tells us that we do so intentionally. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning with verse 5, Paul writes this to the Corinthians, I thought it was necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift not as an exactation. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There's a few different things we could pull out of that text, but one of the first things is they've, they've given a gift. They have a goal in mind. They've set some things aside, and it's not just haphazardly, what do I happen to have in my pocket, loose changes I can throw at it. They've set it aside. They have made it a priority. One of the things that we did with that Wesley illustration at the beginning is that's what God convicted him of. He wasn't just giving because of an immediately perceived need. He was saying, there's going to be a ton of immediate perceived needs that I'm going to encounter throughout my life. Am I going to put myself in a position to respond to them or not? And he made a conscious decision. I know God wants me to be generous. I know that's consistent with what I see in his word, and I'm going to establish that priority. Maybe sometimes he had a specific ministry that he dedicated, but maybe he also gave himself room to be able to respond to those immediate things. But the fact is, he did so intentionally. He set aside what God had given to him, to be used in this way. And this is what the Corinthians were doing. That each one must give, Paul says, as he has decided in his heart. We can think about that even as we wrestle through different things. We still passed offering plates or bowls or whatever those things were uh, here at camp. But most of our churches probably still do plates. Uh, in Marshall, we had to move to bags. I mentioned that refugee group. Um, they had been evangelized by American missionaries, you know, uh, almost 200 years before. So they were all very familiar with all of the things that we do in Baptist churches, or at least had done in Baptist churches. They were very excited when they came to Marshall because they said, teacher, teacher, they called me teacher instead of pastor. They said, teacher, you, you, we, we love your church because you have hymn books. And so many American churches no, no, no have hymn books anymore. Uh, and so they were excited. So what did we do, ironically enough, like a year or so later, we started projecting <laughs> lyrics, um, partly so we could put English and their language on the screen at the same time. Um, so they did appreciate that, too. But they knew all about passing the offering. They, they didn't always connect this idea that we aren't doing it for show, we aren't doing it for recognition. So if they were going to give $20, they would often make sure they had 20 individual singles 
and they would put them in the offering plate, and they wouldn't just lay like a, lay a stack of 20 singles. They would fold them up, and so it would be, they'd get really big. They would like be all puffy, and that would have been fine if it was like one family or two family, but it was like all of them, and so what was happening is they were passing down the offering plates and there was a, a, more than once where he actually spilled the offering plate because there was like this pyramid of singles uh, in, in the offering plate. So what we had to do is we went to offering bags because it, it was more like a foot and a half, two foot bag that came off of a ring and then it couldn't pile out and we wouldn't have to stop the service so <laughs> the ushers had to pick up the offering. Um, which again, just literally did happen. Um, but the idea that even there in that lesson, they had decided what they were going to do. They knew that it was something they were preparing themselves for. Now, the, the method with which we collect might be changing. We might not, in some of your churches, be passing plates as frequently. Maybe we're doing different options like online giving and different things. And that sometimes, that, well, am I really even worshiping God at that point? It just feels like it's I'm paying another bill. I get that change in sensation. But friends, there's something you can still do as you're doing that. You're still deciding to set it aside. You're still fulfilling what Paul is telling them they had to do. Whether you're doing it in the act, in the service, or you're prioritizing it, when you form your budget, how is this money going to be expended? And there is something that is scriptural, even if the collection process might change. But as we've already talked about, we, there, there's a, a difference in modeling versus gaining self-glory. This is what we're told by our Savior in Matthew chapter 6 that I've already mentioned previously, but I'll read the text. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, use a hashtag on Facebook and talk about... No, no, it doesn't say that. It says instead... Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Again, be careful about cultural tendencies, and be careful about balancing out, modeling, and discipling, and look at me. Look at how spiritual I am. It's a fine balance sometimes. But friends, we need to be careful. The Word of God is not given to us just to pick and choose how we apply it. We need to give careful thought to doing so in such a way where we're not doing it for our own reputation. We're building the glory of God. Finally, we're doing so sacrificially. If anyone, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 17, has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? I'm no Greek scholar, but we can talk about the different qualities of love and that agape kind of love, that, that love that 
gives of itself. It gives not just out of the abundance of what they possess, but gives beyond, gives sacrificially, sacrifices and deprives itself for the benefit of others. It is hard when you take those phone calls that I mentioned at the beginning, when people call looking for assistance. It is hard not to look at them cynically and they're saying, Oh, Pastor, you know, I've got, I've got this, this I, I just got out of jail, and, and I've got seven babies, and, and if I don't get them diapers and milk, you know, and, and you can just smell something foreign on their breath, and you're even question, questioning whether that's legal or not. Um, and there's that skepticism. There's that cynicism. And it's so easy to look at that person who's giving you the sob story, or to look, as I did last week at the the unemployed cab driver who's trying to convince me that our church should pay his cell phone bill. Um, and there's part of you that is just look like, you have a $100 a month cell phone bill, and I, you're sitting to me, and I've got my track phone that I, I, I pay per minute. I find ways to, to, to be frugal. You can, too. Um, and you think that way, and if you think that way too much, you don't actually get the sensitivity that it talks about here in First John 3. You don't learn what it means to put yourself out to others. So there are going to be times that you might even end up maybe giving to somebody who takes advantage of you, who might occasionally misuse it. But I try, at least even with a taxi driver, to not just say, sorry, buddy, you got to just learn to tighten your purse strings and manage what you have. Try to at least give them the time. I try to at least, if I don't give them a dollar or, or monetary value, say, here's some way that I've adjusted. You've got some income coming in, and if you're not finding every way to make ends meet, hey, I'm with you. i got seven kids. You know, money gets tight. But these are some things that I've, I can help you through. And come back in sometime. Let's talk again. Let's see where your needs are, how we can give you some help and direction, help you manage it better. Take the time to these people that God places in your life. Use those opportunities that you might have, sometimes to give money, but always, always to give care and concern. Because friend, whether you're a pastor or a professional, full-time vocational Christian worker holding an office in church, all of us are Christians. All of us have been called to project the love of Christ to a world who needs to see him. As John the Baptist says, he must increase, we must decrease. What do we have that we have not been given by heaven? And how are you using that in such a way where the God of heaven is glorified, not that your future is stable and secure? We brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out. Let's make sure that we expend it well to God's glory. Father, we thank you for the time that we've had here together this morning and even this week, uh, just to reflect on some of the basics of the Christian life, understanding that what we do corporately 
informs and trains us for what we do in the real world. Lord, help us to be mindful of using the resources that you have given to us as just that, resources that belong to you, that have been placed temporarily into our care. And Lord, help us to use them well. Help us not to take them and to bury them, but to invest them wisely so that they will have returns that will be to your honor, to your fame, uh, and to your reputation. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.